Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good morning from the Crop Doctors Podcast studio in Stoneville. Tom's here making funny faces at me because the music was weird in his ears, evidently. It sounded like it was a cave or a shower. I don't know, very tinny. The producer works for cheap, though, right? Oh, man. High dollar. High dollar. Uh, we got Brian on the phone with us from Starkville this morning. Good morning, buddy. How you doing? Hey, good morning, fellas. Y'all doing all right today? We're doing well. How's the cotton picking progressing? We're hanging in there. Uh, you know, from my point of view, we got a little bit more to go. But from the state's point of view, I mean, we're all but done. Uh, most of the deltas, I, I'm not going to say you couldn't find a cotton field in the delta, but they're mostly picked. Most of the cotton we have left is eastern part and and northeast and as you know it was later planted and it's just it's gotten cool on it so it's i'd say in the next 10 days it'll pretty much be done yeah the only cotton i drive by between work and home is on old leland road out there west of what we now call the west farm but the old monsanto farm for those of you that are familiar with the greenville area and they they dropped in and picked it i guess that was monday and it did not take long. They uh, they brought in a big crew and and stepped on across there pretty fast. So that's good. And then you know we got some dry weather, a lot of field prep going on. Uh, chance of rain tonight. What's today? Today's Wednesday. Today is Wednesday. So we've missed our Thursday again, Tom. But a lot of field prep going on. That's good. Uh, a lot of fall herbicide going out. That's good for me. Uh, but for sure, that yeah. that field prep that's getting done, that's that's going to be get folks way down the field come springtime. So that's a that's a good thing. And that's a lot of what we've been missing the past couple of years: the fall uh, field prep. And you know, this this harvest, I have no compl- I mean, I have no complaints. Uh, it's been relatively dry considering the year we've had. I mean, there, there's been plenty of times, plenty of time to get a crop out. It's just the same factors that made us late. We knew we were going to be late in some areas, and uh, I think it was compounded with cooler defoliation towards the end on the latest stuff. So that's what's kind of got us I mean, put back a little bit. So we had Eric on, I guess, two weeks ago now, Brian, and Trent last week and, and talking about variety trials for corn and and soybean, I guess, hybrid trials in the case of corn. With Eric, so that's what we uh, wanted to talk with you about this morning. But, you know, I can't let you go without asking you something kind of off the wall. Oh, gosh. Among the superheroes, what is the best superpower? I got to go with Thor with the hammer, Melnir. You know, that is a pretty incredible power. Dude, that's a good but one. My, my middle son is a huge superhero fan, and We have all the costumes, but Thor is our favorite. Yeah. Tom and I talked about it before we called you, and uh, I didn't think about Uh Thor. That's a pretty solid choice, though. I'll be the first to admit, I didn't read near as many comic books. Well, that was in my wheelhouse. And I've not seen any of those movies. Seen the Iron Man movies stopped at the Thor movies for some reason. Haven't seen any of the Avengers, none of those. Yeah, okay. But that's nowadays. And well, I guess these have been around forever, but my, my sons grew up in the modern era of the comic book movies. Right. Um, but personally, I'm, I'm a big He-Man fan and everybody <laughs> knows Rambo, but that's not a superhero, but the He-Man and the, and the power of Grayskull, that's a superpower <laughs> in my book. 
See, Brian, Brian pulls that really small little, hey, what's Brian going to go for it up? Oh, not anything that the rest of us would focus on. We were focused on <laughs> Superman. And see, that's why you got to be very, oh, very shrewd on the question you ask Brian, because you know he's never going to disappoint. He's always good. And, and the He-Man, I could have said He-Man all day long, but the power of Grayskull had not thought about that in well, and the best part 40 is, years until Brian said it right then. Obviously, we see that he does what the rest of us do, which is ride down the road and think about really strange trivia-esque type things that he just, you know, <laughs> implants into his mind. Just mindless babble that's going exactly, around in your head. That's exactly I mean, right. You never know where it's going. And what I'm we're possibly thinking about on the road because that's all we do is travel. (laughs) I know that's why I can sing and whistle and know all (laughs) sorts of things about strange music. Oh yeah. Cause that's all I do is listen to that stuff over and over and over again. Okay. All right. Well, back to, uh, I guess guess we gotta be serious now. (laughs) So we talked about with, with Eric, I'm trying to think Brian, exactly what we talked about with Eric and Trent. Tom, we talked about the difference between kind of the small plot hybrid slash variety trial programs that are handled by Mississippi State University variety testing program as compared to the on farm variety and or hybrid trial plots that they each conduct for their respective crops. Yeah. So I guess, Brian, the cotton program operates a little differently than the corn or the soybean program. So why don't you just tell folks how the small plot variety trial for cotton is handled, and then what you do in your own farm program. To my, my knowledge, the cotton program is the only one that conducts its own OBT. And uh, so we do the own, the official small plot variety trial as well as the own farm. And to start with the uh, small plot variety trial, we uh, send out a call for varieties to the you know, the seed companies, um, it includes, and there's a lot more varieties, um, in, in this, it's a more traditional plot format. It's a randomized block four replications, you know, small plots. So I guess in an attempt to normalize some of the variability throughout the field that the first rep could be on a sandier knoll and it could drop off into a bottom cause it's still a field setting. So we try to normalize that, have it in, anywhere between seven and 10 locations, depending on, you know, the grower, if they'll allow us to do it that year, or, you know, sometimes there's crop rotations that don't allow us to plant them. So we had seven this year and the you know, weather had us late. So we stopped at seven was all we could get in. We have conventional varieties. Then there's, I guess it's, most of them are the latest, and what the the upcoming varieties, just to get a, a good look at them. But there are some varieties that have been in the mix for quite a while. But we know that cotton varieties change pretty often. So this, to get a good look at a lot of varieties, we have 44 in our OVT this year. Last year was 57. So, um, and we've had as high as 70. So it's, it's just a, it's a good way to get a good look at a lot of varieties over a lot of environments. So we break it down into, we, we look at it from all locations. Uh, then we break it down to the region, whether it's the Delta or the Hills, and look at it that way. Then we look at it irrigated or non-irrigated. And then we look at each individual location. For perspective, so if you have 44 varieties in the trial this year, how many 
different varieties do you think we grow commercially in Mississippi on any given year? Just a guess. I mean, it doesn't have to be exact. Just no, I don't think it's anywhere near 44. We definitely plant very little conventional, and uh, there's a lot of extend cotton, but then there's also areas of a lot of um, enlist cotton where, you know, a lot of times over since with the, with the um, off-target movement that we've seen, you also, you often see pockets of, say, enlist cotton, and all the neighbors try to do that just to minimize off-target and then other large pockets. But within that, you know, I'd say the, the vast majority of varieties are it's pretty small. Um, some farms are all one variety, and some might have different enough soil types or textures to where they're planting two to three. They might have a might um, have one or two main varieties, and they test two or three or four over here just to see, get a small look at it. To get back to your question, if I were to give a guess, I'd say you know ten to fifteen yeah. varieties maybe represent I, most of the cotton. Yeah, I would say, and this again, uh, by no means keep up with it like you do, but I would have said. 10 or 12 make up the majority of the acres, and then there's probably another 5 to 8 that are getting tested. You know, you know a yeah. farmer's testing them personally on you know a field or part of a field, something like that. You know, just as a guess, because, I mean, you don't know. You can't ask everybody what they're planting, but sure. just the rule of thumb, you know, there a lot of people have been standing behind, you know, 1646, for example. That was a real popular variety, but I could see a trend of moving to some of the newer three gene cottons and I, you know, I've only been here and this is two years, but just knowing from the year past and looking back at the um, own farm, which is a good representation of the new, what people are planting. I, I can see where it's definitely a trend going towards the three gene. And I guess my point with that original question about how many varieties did you think that we grow in Mississippi? The point I wanted to make was we grow very few varieties in the grand scheme of things, particularly if you compare it to maybe soybeans. But two, you're evaluating a lot of varieties. And so there's a lot of you know, potential out there and whether that all comes to fruition or not, who knows. But I mean, you just think about cotton not having very or not near as many variety options as some of the other commodities you know, mainly soybeans and corn yeah and that's true but there are still still a good variety of offerings out there well and you could basically add that in any given year there are a different number of conventional trait containing or non-trait containing cotton varieties that are included in that ovt and you know i, I think last year there might have been one or two this year there may have only been two that are in that entire 44 yeah there's two Oh, well, another thing to add, um, out of all the, let's say it's 44 this year, I mean, close to 50% of those are experimental varieties that are not available for sale, but they're just to get a good look to see, are, are we going to move forward forward with these varieties or or not? And, you know, they may or may not be in next year's, or they may, they may be, you know, a trade name. You know, there might be a variety number attached for sale next year. So we're looking at a lot of those. And like you said, with the somewhat limited number of varieties, that's partly due to the fact that growers are going to plant the varieties they know that are going to work because we know that that's the number one input decision going into cotton is your variety selection. You know, for selection or just ran, a random variety, you know, can, can 
have you starting out and just behind the eight ball before you can plant a seed is nothing against the variety, but if it's not placed correctly. And that's part of what these variety trials, I mean, that's one of the main things you're looking at, how it performs in, a, in an environment similar to where you were going to plant it. Did you say how many locations there are in Mississippi for the, the cotton variety trial? There's seven OVT locations this year. Last year we had nine. One of them, the the grower was plant. He rotated with corn, so it'll be in the mix next year. Another was underwater and around Bee Lake and the Yazoo County, wasn't able to get planted. So we ended up with seven. As it relates to those locations, Brian, how many of those are Mississippi State University experiment stations versus on farm on an actual commercial site? Four of these this year are on Mississippi State branch locations, being Stoneville, Verona, Mississippi State, and Brooksville. And then the other locations would be Sidon, which is affiliated with Mississippi State, and Clarksdale and Tunica. Okay. Which would be, those are more of a, that's a farm setting, you know, it's not on a research farm. Right. And and from those official variety testing program locations, how do you choose those entries then to put into your on-farm? Do you do something similar to what Trent and Eric do, or do you do something a little different when you pick varieties for your on-farm Trial. The way our own farm is conducted currently, uh, based on the volume of seed sales, which comes out, you can there, you can look at this annually. The companies, the proportion of seed sales earns a slot out of ten slots that are in the um, own farm trial. The higher the percentage, the more slots you get, and then with the number of slots that you get, you get to enter the variety you wish. So if you had two slots based on your seed sales, then the seed company says, well, I want to enter these two varieties. How many locations of that study do you have, Brian? Uh, This year we have 14. We started out with 17. Some got ruined by water. No, we're we're at 15. Maybe we're at 15. But we have some flooding events, and sometimes they're off-target spray injury, you know, with the two different technologies. But uh, that was not the case this year. So we, we had to deal with some, we lost some stands at a couple locations due to flooding. But we'll shake out 15, and we've got four more to pick. What's your geography spread on that, just to give folks some perspective on how much area it covers? Uh, it, it goes from the Black Prairie in Knoxville County, uh, north, into Monroe, Clay County, uh, West Point area, north of West Point. I'm trying to think of that exact town. It'd be near, but let's say northeast Mississippi. And then typically we go down to Natchez, which is southwest Mississippi, but that was one of the, the, the flooded locations. And then up through northwest Mississippi. And like Sledge might be the, the most northwestern one we have. Okay. In that on-farm variety trial that you're doing, what are you looking for, or maybe what types of data do you collect from those on-farm tests? Both of the trials, we collect similar data. The, the main difference, excuse me, the main difference between the on-farm and the OVT, we harvest the OVT, we gin the OVT, and we send it off for classing. The on-farm, 
the, we just supply the seed. There's a complete farm setting. Uh, and, and so you're planting, it's a strip trial planted by the farmer. We try to get three replications, but depending, that's how you weigh it. So you analyze it with three replications, but a year like this year, if the yields are off, the cost of a wrap, you, you want to have at least an acre or so per rep in order to get the wrap. So sometimes your reps get cut short based on the volume of cotton. All right, we had a momentary bout of technical difficulties. Tom, this MacBook it's, may, it's, may be possessed. It's pay-related is what it is. Oh, it's pay-related. When we're talking about bottom basement dweller type, and it's and it's never the same thing. That no. thing said disc is too slow. What does that even mean? I, I've never seen. I, I have no idea. I st- I'm still struggling with the shift over to Mac that happened pre-pandemic in my world, and that that just was uh, not not a good idea. Okay, so this is going to be a little bit disjointed from what Brian was talking about. Brian's going to go back and continue his thought on harvesting his own farm variety trials. All right, I'll do my best. I probably lost my train of thought. That's Derailed, fine. Just hey, that's not the first time. I was just saying that it's, it, the difference between when this is the own farm is a strip trial, and we try to get free replication. And there's a lot of variability in each of those strips, and because a lot of them we try to get an acre per strip per rep in order to get a decent size sample that can be a wrap. Because a lot of these are baler pickers, and if the volume of cotton is less due to the year, then sometimes the replications get cut down. All right. So that is kind of the setup strip trial. There's, you know, a small plot, you know, each one of those plots is probably fairly uniform. Each rep might be different, but it balances out. But in the own farm, each strip, you know, could have variability within it. But it's good to have at least two to three replications we like to get, but sometimes we don't. And then Tom asked me, like, what do we look for? What are we analyzing? So obviously we're looking at lint yield and um, we get these large samples taken out of the bulk of the picking. We take about a five to 10 pound sample, gen it through a micro gen. We get lint, lint turnout percent. So per variety, we're going to look at lint yield, lint turnout percent, and then we'll look at your quality factors. We'll, we'll, send, we'll send this off for classing and look at my staple strength uniform uniformity and leaf and then so each location will have those categories filled out you know we have for each location we'll have a a table with the 10 varieties and from the delta the hills irrigated non and then across all locations do you take additional evaluations during the season plant height any of those types of things as well we don't on the own farm uh a lot of the um, reps for the seed companies, they have their own data collecting that they do throughout the year. On our OVT, we we did do some growth data collecting, looking at, uh, and this part of a grad student project where we're going to have, we're looking at just our own relative maturities. We didn't do the whole OVT. I think we sampled 18 varieties out of it, and uh, which we thought were the most popular varieties. So we did that out of the OVT, but we, we, we did not. We don't do that in the own farm. Brian, when you're talking to a farmer about selecting a cotton variety, what are your suggestions to him about sifting through all the data that's collected? Once you have it all and it's all available, 
with the on-farm variety trial and the small plot variety trial? What's the conversation sound like when you start talking about what to look for to select a variety? The very first thing, and I've had several conversations, and most growers, you know, have a standby. They're like, well, this variety, will it perform like, you know, so X variety that I've been planting? And then, so we'll go back and try to look at two-year crop performance of some of these varieties. And I think that's a, because there's another table, like a two-year variety performance. And then look at your environment. Um, Start there. And then the little things as far as, you know, this, like, gin turnout would be another. And then a lot of growers pay attention to their, their mic. I know of one farmer in particular generally always has high mic cotton. So he's going to take that into, into consideration before he selects a variety. But, you know, if you if you see this variety really performs well, it's, it's really good, 1,500 pounds year after year after year. But if the environment is vastly different than yours, then that's not going to be a good choice for you. So look at the location, the region, you know, your agronomic practices, your, your row spacing. That's another thing that we have in there. Or you skip row solid. And, you know, there's just, there's a lot that goes into it. It's pretty much every aspect of your agronomic practice. If you can match that as, as good as possible to yield performance. And then if you could get two to three years worth of yield performance data, then that, that could be a pretty good choice. Brian, is, are there any other unique variables that are factored in from the OVT information that you provide on an annual basis that you put out in that report? What's different about cotton is there's after the ginning process, and you have this the whole classing side of everything where you get grades. And a lot of growers pay a lot of attention to grades because there is a generated I mean, loan value based on these parameters that we measure which basically gives you a baseline for the value of the cotton. Uh, I mean, this is outside of market value. This is based on like the value of the cotton itself. So in our OVT, we plug a a loan calculator into our data sheet. And after we put in all of our factors being, um, you know, our, our length, mic, strength, uniformity, there it calculates a loan value. So the baseline loan value is 52 cents. So if you were to get, you know, excessive weathering, or if you have poor uniformity, if you're outside the the range on your mic being, you know, over five or under four, I have to look at the exact number, it could affect your loan value. So when you look at these parameters in our OVT, you can look at the loan value for a particular variety. And it, and it'll be in each table, whether it's the across all locations and individual location, Delta Hills, you know, it's for each one of our uh, environments. As the one plant pathologist in the in the podcast studio right now, the only thoughtful question I had from a disease standpoint would be, how should farmers consider bacterial blight resistance, and is that one of the main important diseases to consider? On a wet year like this year, it's an important uh, consideration. There was, as you well can attest to, um, Bacterial blight in some locations was definitely a yield-reducing factor, we, as well as other diseases. We usually saw target spot as well, but there were definitely some varieties that are listed as susceptible on a wet year like this year that were yield likely was reduced to it. 
So I, I think it's a fairly important consideration, well, especially as far further south you go or, you know, who knows if it's a wet year or not. I mean, you have to pick that well into the, you know, before you know anything. So, Yeah, and that's, that's the one that I, I keep coming back to that I think farmers should really consider whether or not that variety they're choosing is going to be resistant or susceptible. That's why we still put so much time into screening varieties for whether they're resistant or susceptible to bacterial blight and provide that information because it, to this day, it remains one of the more important considerations from a plant disease standpoint, um, you know, notwithstanding well, that, the whole target spot situation as well. That's another good point. And uh, I appreciate your input to this publication because not we don't need to leave that out at the bottom of all the yield pages and there there is there is a bacterial blight score page at the very end that has every variety and its um, response to bacterial blight brian once you get all the information compiled where do folks go to find the small plot variety trial information and then yours uh, from their own farm as well. The first place you can find it when we get everything analyzed in the book put together, I'll post it on Mississippi Crop Situation blog, and then I'll send it to you know our ag communications team who will make the publication. It'll be available on the Mathis website or the Extension website, depending on the publication. the o, The OVT small plot is a Mathis publication. The um, On Farm is an Extension publication. I mean, that's not going to be published nearly as quickly as when I just put it on the blog, which should be available in early December if, if all goes well. We appreciate the time this morning, Brian. It's always good to have you on and especially talk about such an important topic as variety selection and, and what you all are doing when it comes to looking at variety performance throughout the state. So we, we are really thankful that, that you take the time out to talk with us this morning. Oh, yeah. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, man. Y'all take care. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.